0: Hi, this is Let's Talk About It with me, Ani White, where every week I talk about a documentary I watched and want to talk about. So you can hit me up on Instagram at Let's Talk About It. Tell me all your thoughts about the documentary I talk about today and let me know what documentary you want me to talk about next. If you're listening on Spotify, I do have a Q&A and poll set up so you can let me know there what kind of episodes you'd like me to do next. This is episode six and the documentary this week is Unknown Cave of Bones. So, Unknown looks like it's a series of investigatory historical-type documentaries on Netflix. This one is called Cave of Bones, which is a documentary released this year, and it's one hour and 34 minutes long, directed by Mark Minucci, and the basic synopsis is that scientists examine underground clues from over 250,000 years ago and raise questions about our early relatives and what it truly means to be human. So I wouldn't say there's really much of a content warning, except obviously death is discussed because we're talking about fossilized bones. So going to the intro, it's basically telling us the reason we're here. So this extraordinary discovery of ancient bones deep in a South African cave, because what they find here is not just a bone fragment or a tooth. They find thousands of bones But they are not human bones, though they kind of look like human bones, which begs the question, like, why are all these bones here together? And why is it just this one species left here? So we start off in what is called the Cradle of Humankind in South Africa in July of 2022. And we meet paleoanthropologist Lee Berger and this team of other anthropologists who have come to the Rising Star cave system. To lead another expedition into the caves here. I think this is like their third expedition into this system of caves. So Lee Berger, he introduces himself and his job, he says, is to dig up dead people. And then he corrects himself. Well, I dig up dead, not people, because these aren't human bones. And we meet another anthropologist throughout his name's John Hawks. So he's featured in the documentary as well. But to go back to where this started. In South Africa in 2013 is when they discover this primitive species with a small brain that looks to be a little bit larger than a chimpanzee. So I kind of looked into this a little bit, and it looks like some cavers first found some odd things in this cave. And so they bring something out of the cave, and they show it to um, a university anthropology department, and then that's who then leads this first expedition into the cave. So during that first expedition, they found the most bones from a human descendant species that have ever been found. And that basically means they're like the same genus as humans. And so like that would have been amazing just if they had stopped there. But then they discover something potentially a lot bigger, which is kind of the focus of this documentary. We then hear from the lead excavator, Dr. Canelo Molopiani, and she talks about watching live footage of someone in the Dinaletti chamber, which we'll talk about in a minute, of this cave, and the light kind of showed a difference in soil pattern. And there was a body inside of this oval hole, a collapsed skeleton, so a burial maybe. And that was something that until this moment We only thought of humans as doing that because the act of burial is a ritual. So these bones have been named the Homo naledi, and they existed 250,000 to 300,000 years ago at a time when paleoanthropologists and archaeologists had previously thought only humans existed in this genus, but in the timeline or like the family tree kind of structure of human ancestors They had thought at this time that Homo sapiens had taken over, but now here they are finding evidence that this other species, Homo naledi, were alive at the same time, possibly. So the question is kind of how closely are they related to us, and the answers could possibly show us how we evolved. Now, this Rising Star base camp is located in Gauteng, South Africa, and this 2022 expedition took place four years after the last one into this place where the Homo Naledi possibly buried their dead. And so that's what they're setting out to find is, is there any more evidence to support this theory or basically negate this theory? So I'm going to call her Dr. M just because she has a long name, Molapiani, although I did practice how to say that. <laughs> she says she has this love-hate relationship to the Rising Star cave system. Very physically challenging. It's very mentally challenging. And she says, when people think about like archaeology, you usually think of Indiana Jones or like Lara Croft. And she says, this is one of the times where it actually does sort of resemble that. We also meet Augustin Fuentes, who's an evolutionary anthropologist. And this is his first time being in the cave. So he's quite emotional. And he talks about where we come from where we're going, like as a human species, like why are we the way we are? And if the Naledi buried their dead before humans were around, what does that mean for us? So we see this command center in the entrance to the Rising Star cave system. And they are at this artificial entrance because in the 1900s, miners had carved out this piece of the cave looking for lye. And They actually think the Naledi used a different entrance into the cave that's nearby, but that entrance has collapsed. So miners actually opened gateways into this system of caves. And now since they made discoveries, they've been able to map out these caves. So from the command center, they cross through this pretty tight area that they call the Superman's Crawl. And I guess like at its widest, it's like 20 centimeters. So they have to crawl through this area. And That leads into the dragon's back chamber, which is the first part of where they're going to start to excavate. And if you go further in, you kind of have to climb up, but it leads to this chute, which is very tight. And that's where the Naledi would take their dead community members down into the Dinaledi chamber, which is where they think is the burial place and what they think they Um, see as burial holes. So it is such a tight space in the chute that some people are just not going to be able to go through that to see it for themselves. And uh, Dr. M talks about how every part of the rising star cave system is difficult to navigate through, but especially the chute. I mean, if you're claustrophobic, it'll give you some pause here to see people Crawling through these incredibly tight small spaces. They must have been wearing like GoPro cameras because it puts you like right into these small spaces with them. But anyway, back to where they start out once they're through the Superman's crawl is that's what opens up into this big chamber. And this is the gateway to where they would climb Dragon's Back Ridge, which is this fairly steep ridge in the cave and then they'll have to drop down through the chute into the Denaledi chamber. So some of the questions that they're trying to answer during this excavation or this expedition is what did the did, what did the Naledi do in the large cave that's the Dragon's Back chamber? Like did they have fires here? Like they're going to look for evidence of that. Did they live here? Did they bring animals here? Did they stop here and think about what they were doing as they brought their dead family members here? So these anthropologists are trying to reconstruct the life of this creature that they didn't even know existed nine years ago. So there is not any clue that is not important here. So they're examining the soil and measuring things and looking for the differences in color of the soil. I guess that can help them tell if there was a fire there ever. And they want to be able to document if the, like, what kinds of things the the Naledi knew how to use. And every clue they say is like a part of a pattern of behavior. And the most important thing, or the thing they're really interested in, is did the Naledi have some type of funereal practice? Because that's something we think of as exclusively human. Now, Dr. M, she's really interesting. So uh, she used to be a trauma analysis doctor um, during apartheid. So like, okay. Now, Dr. Molopiani is really interesting. She used to study trauma analysis of apartheid, but her focus has now transferred to ancient humans. And so she joined the Rising Star team in 2018 and they've kind of coined this word to describe themselves, and so they're known as underground astronauts. So they're basically a group of researcher scientists who go into dangerous cave environments to excavate it, and they say that if you know how to read the bones today or hundreds of thousands of years ago, you can tell the story of the individual. And that kind of really makes sense to me, how connected the forensics of studying the bones or remains of someone now for whatever reason, like a crime or disease, or as Dr. Molapiani used to do, the trauma of a people in an area, like that really does connect to studying the bones of an ancient descendant. Like it makes sense how, to me at least, how Dr. Molapiani found herself here. <laughs> so back in 2014, when they first had the first bones from that first excavation. And when they first discovered what it was that they were looking at, which was not just a few bones, but many, many remains, they say it was like the forensics for a cold case, but it's a cold case from 250,000 years ago. So some of the things they had to determine was, you know, let's see if a carnivore had just brought all these, um, you know, creatures into the cave. But there were no teeth marks on the bone, so they don't think that was the case. There were some beetle marks on them that show that at one time there was still flesh on the bones when they were placed there. So the hypothesis was the Naledi were taking their dead through this cave system, down through this chute, and so these anthropologists put this evidence out there into the scientific community, but other scientists and critics believed that it wasn't likely because of the small brain size of the Naledi. And so they kind of put out other theories like, were other humans possibly putting the bodies there as part of a ritual? And so there was this worry that they'd put this hypothesis out there and that they might never really be able to truly find evidence to support it. Because if they don't find anything besides this bed of bones, you know. They wouldn't be able to support it, which is, of course, why they went back to excavate again and again. So in September 2018, which I believe was their second expedition into the cave system, they return into that Dinaletti chamber to excavate, which is when they find the pits. So it wasn't just a bed of bones that they had found before. They found what they believe are graves in this cave. And so that clarified some things that this truly did look like a burial site. And it's similar to what we would see in human burials when burial is practiced. Um, They talk about the first evidence of the practice of burial being in Israel 100,000 years ago, at least with humans. But these Naledi burials are 250,000 to 300,000 years old. So it's a big deal that it's being done by a non-human species. So then we go to Johannesburg, South Africa, to the University of Witwatersrand, and they take us into the Evolutionary Studies Institute, where they have the fossil hominid vaults. So they talk about how many other genuses have been found in this so-called cradle of life, but they're very few and far between, like a few teeth, a few bones, nothing like what's been found here of the Naledi where so many bones have been found of all different ages. And they, meaning Lee Berger, his team, John Hawks, they decide to try and build a whole human skeleton out of the remains that they have in order to better determine how they might have walked or used their fingers. So we actually see Lee Berger beginning to try to piece a skeleton together and he sits the partial skull up so he can kind of look into its eyes. And I have to say, it did send this kind of thrill down your spine to see it. It is so much smaller, though, than a human skull. And then he puts the vertebrae down, and it's also so much smaller. So he estimates it's, like, about as half as long as a human vertebrae would be. And he talks about, like, some people say, you know, they're just apes. But he shows us the bones of the hand of the Naledi. And they're quite thin and delicate. They clearly resemble like a smaller version of our own human hands. And then he shows you the hand bones of an ape, which are much thicker and larger. You can see how they had evolved clearly into something that can like hang and climb in trees with their hands. So it's clear that Naledi's hands are not like that. And he says they are so like us and so absolutely not like us. So across the skeleton there are many things close to modern humans and then some that look like the earliest hominids and at first they thought this was like a mixture of species but then they realized they're all consistent. So it's just a pattern that they had not seen before which is how they knew they have a new species on their hand. So we don't obviously know what they really looked like like we don't know what they look like externally. We don't know if they're hairy or what color they were, but they can estimate like the muscle due to the bone structure. And then they just have to make estimates on skin and hair. They did seem to walk on two legs like a human, though they likely would have had a different gait. They have longer arms than humans. Their noses do not protrude like a human nose, so a little bit more like an ape's nose, but their teeth look very much human like but their jaw seems to jut out a little bit forward and they have a brow ridge that covers both eyes so they would look quite different to us they were quite short likely about 4 foot 8 to 5 foot 2 which <laughs> i was like hey when they were said that because i'm pretty close to that height um they were also quite thin suited to long distance walking moving across big landscapes and they were likely better made for climbing they could probably climb trees and rocks pretty well they obviously can't yet figure out if they had a language but they likely had some way to communicate the naledi have small canines and those are teeth you know small canine teeth And we know that apes, gorillas, they would use their larger canines to bare their teeth as a threat. So humans, though, we have small canines, and when we bare our teeth, it's generally to smile. So, like, one assumption you could maybe make is that they smiled. Then they talk about um, the genus Homo. So Naledi are part of this genus, Homo. There are many members over the last two and a half million years like Homo erectus, Neanderthals. I kind of picked out the ones that I thought were most familiar, but obviously that also includes us humans, which we are Homo sapiens. So the genus Homo is the only one that was ever able to use a rock as a tool. Now, there was no evidence of the Naledi using stone tools, but we did know, or we do know, that every other member of the genus Homo did have the capacity to use stone tools. So there's that likelihood too. And they were able to um, imagine something, make it a physical reality to possibly teach others how to do it. And the Naledi are part of that genus living these complex ecological lives where they could manipulate the world around them, eat plants and animals, and they could care for each other in deep ways. And in the case of the Naledi, it appears to be that they could engage in this ritual of burying their dead. The Naledi mind might share this aspect of our humanity that's pretty unexpected. And in particular, it's unexpected because of the size of their brains. So if you see the evolution of the genus Homo, you see the brain sizes grow larger and larger, ending with, of course, human brains. And we have the largest brain of our genus. And It was just generally assumed that the increasing size of our brains was a progression of intelligence that allowed us to do complex behaviors that we associate with being human. But this discovery of the Naledi and their burial practices is what is really throwing a wrench into this assumption. Because the Naledi brain is a third of the size of ours, so roughly the size of an orange. And yet, here they are engaging in this practice that we had thought was uniquely human, And I have to say, I kind of got choked up during this part. Um, Dr. M talks about rethinking this assumption of size being the determining factor in intelligence, that it's perhaps more to do with what that brain is capable of, no matter the size. But the reason I got a little choked up here was because they were caring for their dead to bury them and not only bury them, but to take them to a place that they knew how to return to. It just feels like so much what like we would call humanity and it feels like love and this connection that they held on to in a way that many of us do so we go now to day two of this latest expedition and they go on a cave tour going up dragon's back ridge to look at the chute incredibly rough terrain inside these caves and I guess it's somewhat slick at times too They climb through Superman's crawl one at a time until they're clear of the space just in case of collapse, which that's terrifying. But there is such a look of delight on the scientists' faces for this discovery. Um, You can tell it touches them, but also they're just super excited. But for someone like me, it's just that notion of humanity that was really touching. So they look at the discoloration of the soil that Dr. M talked about before, and they can determine that there is indeed evidence of a fire. So at a comparable depth, they can see this soil is something that's the same depth as what the Naledi were at. And they end up finding charred bone of a small animal, likely an antelope of some kind, which means they've now found evidence of what the Naledi cooked on the fire, so part of what their diet included. So they basically have to be mountain climbers going up Dragon's Back Ridge, climbing with these ropes, and then they have such a narrow passageway they're making their way through. And then they're able to see into the chute, and the chute is 12 vertical meters into the chamber. And in order to get into that chamber, they've got to crawl down into it. So, at one point, they turn their lights out in order to feel the depths of the darkness the Naledi would have faced. And they realize well, I'm sure they knew before this, but they would have to have fire to light their way in these caves. So, they do recreate it in a small way with some small fires in an attempt to kind of see what it would look like. Clearly, though, they realize that no one would be making this journey on their own. So, the Naledi were coming in groups. There is no way that one person, or I shouldn't say person, one Naledi was coming down into there to bury their dead one at a time. And this is when the scientists speculate and think about the Naledi who had come before them through this dangerous terrain to bury their dead. And they wonder about the difficulties inherent in taking a body this far. How many Naledi would they have needed to do it? And then, of course, climbing and scaling the ridges and caves. And they don't talk about this, but they've already said that the way the Naledi are built, they're very thin. Um, so they would have been able to get into these areas better, I think. And then also, they all had better ways of climbing. Like they were better at climbing than humans. So I suppose those things would have made it easier for them. Uh, but then the scientists are wondering about. If there were rituals to what they did, you know, they obviously will not probably ever know, but they just speculate and think about if they were doing this burial, was there singing? Was there chanting? Did they hold hands when they came back out into the light from the caves? Did they rejoice? Did they embrace? Did they simply just go on their way? But the entire notion of going through this to bury their dead It just also means they cared about the person, the wash, keep trying to say person, about the one they buried and that love was likely a powerful motivator. And there could even be an assumption that they did not want to watch their loved one decay or to be, you know, torn apart by animals. So they found a way to keep them safe. We do hear about, like, what monkeys or apes do when they experience a loss. Obviously, those are our ancestors as well. And we do see that in some animals, they do feel this deeply and emotionally. We've observed them touch their dead and perhaps grieve the loss. We've watched monkeys carry around their dead child for a few days. But what we don't see is them as a group responding in a systematic way. Like in the way that the Naledi the must have. And in fact the way no other animal or group ever has except for humans. So through the discovery that does mean That we perhaps have more of a connection with the Naledi than others in our genus. That this commitment and love that's shown here, which we have always thought to mean as human, is possibly something that was also there in the Naledi. Now back in 2017, in the Denaledi chamber, when a team was conducting an excavation at the base of the chute, they did find the bones of what they felt was a child's intact skeleton. And they decided it's too fragile to actually excavate there. So they plaster all around this huge chunk. And then they take it out of the chamber and they do a CT scan on it so that they can see the whole skeleton. And then they notice that they see a rock in there. And it it does look like a tool. And this rock is being held in the child's hand. So they've placed an object of importance with their dead, which is a next level, basically, of mortuary behavior. Because why give a dead body a tool unless you think it means something to them or they're going to be able to use it? Like, does this mean they believed in an afterlife? Now, we do see them take this chunk to get better images than just the CT scan. They take it to Grenoble, France, and they take it to this higher resolution scanner in this facility, um, the European Synchrotron Radiation Facility. And that way, they'll be able to determine more about this skeleton, more about the tool, especially, or the tool-shaped rock. So when they get the images back, they can see that this rock has this very sharp edge, and it does indeed look like a tool, one that had been used for quite some time. Now, on day four of the current expedition, this 2022 expedition, it was kind of interesting seeing the scientists kind of tiptoe around this talk of spirituality because, you know, it's not really scientific to talk about spirituality spirituality. But Augustine and his team do, I guess, talk about sacred spaces spaces and special places. Um, so they do kind of have to think about these things as they're uncovering them. This is when Lee Berger gathers his team and says that he wants to go into the Dinaletti chamber himself. and everyone looks so caught off guard. Like this man is turning 57, but he, I guess, had never thought he would be able to get into the chamber because of his size. But he's been like working out and <laughs> trying to get in good sh- enough shape to fit himself into this, through the shoot and into the chamber. And Dr. Molopiani looks at him <laughs> <and> this, <laughs> the way she looks at him. Oh my God. It was so funny, but um, so he basically says like, it's now or never, like he's in the best shape he's going to ever get in. He thinks he can fit. So we see him climbing up dragon's back, which he's never done before, like that ridge. And he's obviously never been down this chute. And you can tell the explorers and excavators with him they're a little nervous about him going down that chute. And it is a tight squeeze. Like it was so claustrophobic watching this part. Like, I, there's no chance I would do any of this. But, I mean, I don't even love going into caves in the first place. So, no thanks to the shoot. Um, they actually have to hammer about a centimeter of rock to get his chest through at one point. Which was terrifying. Um, But after eight years of studying this cave system, he finally makes it into the Dinaletti chamber. And he finds pictographs on the walls. Which is not something that they expected to find. And it looks like the Naledi have marked the passageway. Now, okay. For me, when I was watching this part, I was thinking, like, did really... Like, this is the third expedition into the cave system. Did no one really notice the pictographs before? It just seems like... Wouldn't they have noticed it before now? Like before he went down there? But I don't know. Like they are on the walls. Like maybe the people who had gone before were just so set on finding the bones and looking for the bones that they were looking at the ground and looking at the grave sites that maybe they didn't look up towards the walls as much. I don't know. It seemed a little bit odd that no one would have found it before but maybe they just did it for drama's sake pretending <laughs> I don't know I don't know anyway so he finds these pictographs on the walls it really looks like the Naledi have marked the passageway and when he gets into the main chamber he looks up and he shows us with like his camera that all the parts of the ceiling and you see all the stalactites and Right when he did that, it hit me, like, how much it looked like the ceiling of a cathedral. Like, it really caught me off guard. It's very quiet and still there, tomb-like. And you can see why they chose this place. Now, Dr. Molopiani is basically panicking the whole time that he's down there, like, worried about him. But he eventually comes out. They're very emotional. He's exhausted, (laughs) obviously. And they're all like hugging and stuff. And then we see them four months later looking over the images and video. Obviously, probably not for the first time, but and Lee Berger says that when he looked at those pictograms, uh, our pictographs in the chamber, he was like, he didn't say he was the meme, but that's what he meant. He was like the meme of like numbers and equations in the air. Like he was hallucinating. Anyway, then he talks about how when he came out of the cave and told the others about the etchings and he was like showing them the pics on his phone and everyone's freaking out because they see this one particular etching and he hadn't even really noticed because he was just like overwhelmed, but there's this hash mark etching that looks nearly identical to one that was found in Gibraltar on the Iberian Peninsula that was made by Neanderthals 60,000 years ago. And so they show them next to each other on the screen, and it really does look the same. Now, the earliest art has been found in the Blombos cave in South Africa, and that was done by Homo sapiens 80,000 years ago. And it does look strikingly similar to the etchings on the wall leading into the Dinaletti chamber so if these markings all look so similar does it mean that humans learned this from others i don't know is this an innate knowledge of shapes and meaning that's just shared by others in our genus and then they look at this tool found in the blombos cave um that was created by early humans and they compare it to the one that they found in the Naledi child's hand. And it's almost like they're scared to say that they found the oldest tool ever used to create drawings or markings. Like none of them are ready to put that out there into the spotlight, I guess, because that's going to be a lot of focus that's going to be directed towards them for this. And there was, and I'm sure that they've had plenty of naysayers and critics after this but humans have created these incredible high spaces where we want people to feel spiritually small in and so they show us these places like where you might go to contemplate an afterlife they show like the taj mahal and pier well actually i don't think they show pyramids but they should have Um, cathedrals, pyramids, tombs, like this chamber is just, it's not unlike these places. And if we saw this kind of behavior in humans, we would probably call this spirituality. But since these are not humans, is it the same? Could this be the beginnings of spirituality and religion? Which Lee says (laughs) is, you know, for better or worse, like it is what it is. So we go back to the images of them with the Naledi skeleton that was laid out as Lee talks about the impact of the discovery of the cave and the burial sites and what this last excavation's done for our knowledge about the Naledi. They now know about their tools, their writing, their use of fire, their food. Like, this is the beginnings of knowing about their culture. So after watching this, I was all looking up things about the Naledi, which <laughs> was kind of funny because there isn't a whole lot out there yet. Because this last expedition was just last year and the documentary so recent. But it'll be cool to eventually hear more about them. And as far as scientific historical type documentaries go, this one's pretty easy to follow. They don't really get into a lot of the specifics of their discovery like you're presented with the basics I'd say but I'm sure if you were to read their published papers you'd get a lot more evidence for their theories but they really for lack of a better word kind of off the top of my head like humanized the expedition and they gave the viewer the reasons why we should be interested in this kind of knowledge and to be honest maybe that's more important so I would love to know your thoughts about this documentary on my Instagram let's talk about it that's L-E-T-S, Let's, D-O-C-U, docu docu B-O-U-T, Bout, I-T, It. You can also let me know what documentary you want me to watch next. Or you can check out my Q&A and poll on Spotify. Let me know what documentaries you're interested in. This was Ani White with Let's Talk About It, and I'll be back next week with another one. Thanks for listening.